Hey, good morning, Emmanuel. Your, um, your worship is uh, just beautiful. Um, I have the advantage of being in the back um, when everybody's coming in, and then I come up front, and I just hear you singing, and it's really a beautiful thing. Turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 15 to 22 this morning. And uh, as you're turning in your Bibles or flipping on your YouTube, um, uh, you version app, um, let me just encourage you that if you're able to, this evening at 5 o'clock, meet at the church because we're having a Philadelphia District Church of the Nazarene-wide gathering for prayer. And so everybody who's at the church at 5 o'clock, we're going to drive over to the Westchester Church of the Nazarene, and we're going to have a time of um, concerted prayer um, for our country and for the Philadelphia region. I'll get to the scripture in just a moment, but um, over the last several years, there has been a term that's uh, become mainstream in our culture, and that is the term epic fail. You know what an epic fail is? All you got to do is go to YouTube and um, watch video after video after video, which I did this week, of just silly things that people have done that is under the category of epic fail. A couple years ago in England, a man went into a corner store and um, went up to the shopkeeper and said, this is a stick-up, give me all the money in your drawer. And the shopkeeper just started taking all the money out and putting it in this bag that the robber had given him. And when all the money was in, the shopkeeper went to hand over the bag, and the robber looked up and saw a bottle of liquor up on the shelf and said, give me that bottle of liquor too, stick it in the bag. And the shopkeeper said, sir, I can't do that. I don't think you're 18 years old. The robber said, I am 18 years old. And he said, well, you're going to have to prove it to me. The robber takes his wallet out, hands over his license. And the shopkeeper says, well, sure enough, you are over 18. Thank you so much. And hands it back. Two hours later, the guy's apprehended at his house where the shopkeeper immediately, guy leaves the store, he just picks up the phone, hey, go to this, uh, this address here, this guy just uh, you know, stole all of our money. That's an epic fail. You ever had an epic fail? We all have. You ever promised the Lord... You would never do that again. And then three, four weeks later, you did. An epic fail can be a divorce. An epic fail could be a period of time in college where you abandon all of your moral upbringing and you just lived a life that is different than how you are raised. 
an epic fail can just be a relationship that you're disconnected from in your family system. An epic fail can be an addiction that you've been wrestling with for decades and you still haven't overcome it. An epic fail can be an attitude in your own spirit that you've wrestled with, some besetting sin that um, you know that from your childhood into adulthood you've wrestled with this and nonetheless you're still wrestling with it today. And sometimes you wonder, am I ever going to get beyond this? Whatever this is. If there's anybody in the Bible who understood epic fails, it was Peter. Did you know that the Gospels record more of Peter's failures than any other disciple? In many ways... um, Peter was just a lightning rod for saying and doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus is walking on water. He's been in prayer most of the night, but in the later part of the early morning, he is walking on the water, heading toward his disciples, the boat, and... Peter looks at um, Jesus and says, if it's really you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and begins walking on water, but the scriptures say then he began to look around and he became fearful and he sinks like a rock. And Jesus has to grab him, pull him up, and put him into the boat. Peter had some great successes, but you can kind of picture the disciples kind of, you see how fast he went down? Remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus brings up the inner core of the disciples, Peter's one of them, and Jesus is transfigured, and his clothes become whiter than any white that Peter had ever seen, and he's just standing there, and he's overcome with emotion. And Moses and Elijah are having a conversation with Jesus, and listen, Peter interrupts the conversation and says, Lord, this is a special moment. Let's make three memorials. Can you imagine Moses and Elijah? Is he with you? And the scriptures say, you know, Peter was so overcome, he didn't even know what he was saying. Sometimes Peter had to discover what he was saying while speaking. But the biggest epic fail of all was when he denied knowing Jesus three times, back to back to back. Luke chapter 22, verse 56. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. 
Now, this last epic fail is really the setup to the scripture reading this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Turn in your Bibles once again, if you haven't already, to John chapter 21. I'll begin reading in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and said, Lord, who will betray you? Who is that disciple? John. Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Would you bow your heads, please? Holy Spirit, make these words live in our own heart. May we experience what Peter experienced through you restoring him and reinstating him. Would you give us the courage to face some of our own failures right now? so that we may be set free to live the trajectory that you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. How did Jesus restore Peter? What was the process that Jesus used to bring Peter back from an epic failure? And more importantly... How does Jesus work in your own life to bring you back from some of your failures? Now, to be sure, some of you are sitting there thinking, I don't want to address some past failure in my life. Do you know what it's like to just kind of smooth things over and act like that part of your life didn't exist? You just pick up and move on, but you've never really dealt with it. Have you discovered that if you don't thoroughly deal with the sin in your life and the seasons in your life in which you've not been all that God called you to be, they have a way of coming back around to you? So how did Jesus restore Peter? Notice, first of all, our failures do not take Jesus by surprise. 
Before Peter ever failed, Jesus reminded him that he would indeed deny knowing him three times. In some ways, Jesus makes a preemptive strike on us and reminds us that no matter how holy you are, no matter how Christ-like you become, none of us is immune to failure. And so our failures do not take God by surprise. But I see three things in this scripture. The way that Jesus dealt with Peter's failure, the first one is this. Jesus believes in you when you don't believe in you. Jesus believes in you when you don't believe in you. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice the gentle process that Jesus goes about in restoring Peter. If you read the story previous to this section of Scripture that we just read, you'll know that Jesus was standing on the... um, Uh, by the Sea of Galilee on the shore, and he had a charcoal fire going, and he already had some fish that were being cooked up and some fresh-baked bread. And you'll notice that the disciples, as early morning begins to fade into the um, sunlight of the day, they begin to see this guy on shore, and this guy says to them, boys, have you caught anything? And they hadn't caught anything, though they'd been fishing all night. And so Jesus said, throw your nets on that side, and you'll catch a whole bunch of fish. They go ahead and do that. Remember, Jesus had said that before, early on in his ministry. And so they catch a massive load of fish. In fact, John records that they had caught 153 large fish, which is to say that there was a whole bunch of smaller fish too, but there was 153 large fish. I mean, if you're Peter, you're like, I hit the mother load. And you're looking at these fish and you're thinking, I don't have to work for a week or two. That's how much money I just made. But they realize that when they caught this amount of fish, that it's the Lord. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and he runs up on shore and he's just like standing there. And Jesus feeds the disciples breakfast. And then after breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, let's go for a walk. And then he and Peter begin this crucial conversation, which I'll get to in just a moment. But here's what I want you to see. This was not the first time that Jesus appeared to Peter. On that first resurrection day, Jesus appeared to all the disciples. Peter was among them. But interestingly, Luke chapter 24 records these words. The two disciples that that were on the road to Emmaus experienced Jesus, and then Jesus left them, and the two disciples went back to the rest of the disciples and said these words. The Lord really has risen, and he appeared to Peter. Okay, what's that about? Somewhere in the course of that first Easter day, Jesus shows up to Peter personally, and they have a conversation. No one knows what is said in that conversation, and it's not recorded in the Bible. The Apostle Paul alludes to it 
I believe in the book of Galatians, and he says on that first Easter day that the Lord appeared to Peter, but nobody knows that whole conversation. Why does the Lord appear to Peter? Because Peter is so devastated that the one thing he said he would never do, he did. And Peter has picked him up, picked himself up, and put him on the sidelines. And Peter is basically saying, I don't even, even if Jesus is risen, I don't deserve to be his disciple anymore because of my epic fail. By the way, our spiritual enemy, the devil, still says the same thing to you and me. You're a Christian, you're going along in life, you're dealing with all sorts of things, you may go through a period of time of epic failure in your life, and then you put yourself on the sidelines and say, I can never really be used to the Lord again because of this period of time in my life in which I failed tremendously. I mean, I'll serve the Lord, I mean, I'll be a good Christian, I'll come to worship, maybe I'll even play in the band, on occasion I'll work at Ninja Warrior Camp, but you know, I, I mean, God really can't use me in a big way because of my epic fail. Just remember something. Jesus believes in you, even when you don't believe in you. And Jesus gently brings you back to this place in your life where he says, I'm not done with you. Two, your failures are the pathway to greater service for Jesus. I read an article this week about famous people who experienced epic failure before they succeeded? Do you know who Nick Woodman is? Nick Woodman had a startup company by the name of Funbug. It was backed by $3.9 million from investors, but Funbug failed. The $3.9 million was lost. Woodman was devastated. And he was so devastated, he said, I just got to get out of, of the country. And he went on an extended surfing trip and while he was on the extended surfing trip, Woodman got the idea that he'd love to take videos while he was surfing, and that led to the next idea, cameras that made it easy for people to video while participating in activities. Woodman and his girlfriend sold shell necklaces out of the trunk of their car to raise money for their next business venture. They also borrowed money from Woodman's parents and GoPro was launched in 2002. And now Woodman is a $5 billion company. Remember Peanuts? Cartoons? Charles Schultz? Charles Schultz's drawings were rejected by his high school yearbook. Schultz went on to create Peanuts featuring Snoopy and Charlie Brown, the cartoon... Uh, licensing product revenue from Peanuts generated $1 billion a year. The high school put up a statue of Snoopy in the main office. <laughs> Did you know that Steven Spielberg was rejected both times he applied to attend the film school at the University of Southern California? Twice he was rejected. That didn't stop him. Spielberg went on to direct and produce many movies, and Spielberg is now worth $8.5 billion from the films that he's directed. Oh, by the way, after Spielberg became famous, USC awarded him an honorary degree <laughs> and put him on the board of directors. 
Sometimes you're just one failure away from a great success. Just one failure. For Peter, his pathway from failure to success to greater service for the Lord began with a crucial conversation with Jesus. That's what verses 16 and 17 are all about. Now, verses 16 and 17 record a very difficult conversation between Jesus and Peter, and Jesus initiates it. And there's a couple things that we need to see. The first is, notice that Jesus refers to Peter as Simon, son of John. What's the big deal about that? Well, he hadn't been called Simon since the first day he met Jesus. Because you remember when Peter met Jesus, Jesus said to him, you are no longer Simon, you will be called Petros, the rock. You know what Simon means? Pebble. Jesus loves Peter, but Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He looks at Peter and says, I love you. You're not the man you thought you were. You're a pebble. I've called you to greatness, but you blew it. Can you believe Jesus would say that? But he does three times. Simon, son of John, you pebble. I called you to be a rock. Why did Jesus say, do you love me three times? Because of the three times Peter denied ever knowing Jesus. That must have stung. But here's the point. Jesus is not taking Peter and rubbing his nose in his failure. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is like a surgeon who is exercising a wound that is filled with infection. And he's saying to him, this is going to hurt. But the kind of hurt that I'm giving you is the kind of hurt that will lead to healing, not more brokenness. Do you love me, Peter? You know, we have one word for love. The Greek has five words for love. And Jesus uses the word agape love, which is like 100% love. Agape love is the love that God has for you and that God calls you to live a kind of life of agape love, but it's impossible to live without God's empowerment and God's spirit helping you, right? So agape love is like, I love you with the kind of love that I'll always do what's best for you and I'll always have your best interest at heart. It's a pure love. It's the highest form of love there is. And so Jesus says to Peter, do you love me with a pure love? 
And Peter responds back, you know that I love you, Lord, but he uses a different Greek word for love. It's not agape, it's phileo, which is Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. So Jesus is saying, do you love me with 100% love? And Peter says, well, I love you like a brother. I love you as a friend would love you. So if agape love is 100%, phileo love is 65%. And so Jesus circles back around again and says, do you love me, Peter? Agape love. And Peter responds, well, you know that I love you, phileo love. And then Jesus asks one more time, do you love me, Peter? Although this time he doesn't use the agape, he comes down to the 65% love and says, do you love me? And what he's really asking Peter is this, I'm asking you if you love me with an all-in love and and you say you love me back with a 65% love, Now I'm even questioning whether you love me with a 65% love. Are we even friends? Whoa. Can you believe Jesus is saying this? And it's at this point that Peter gets very frustrated, and he says to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Phileo. So what's going on with Peter? Actually, Peter doesn't know how to love 100%. He's not there yet. He wants to, but he doesn't have a category in his head. He doesn't have a category in his heart to actually love the way Jesus wants him to love. Now, I want you to see something really beautiful here. Jesus accepts Peter's 65% love and says to him, that's good enough. I know you don't love me all in, but you're loving me with the best that you know how, even though it's imperfect, and even though you have a lot more to learn, and even though you have a lot more to grow, in being a follower of mine, but you're all in with what you have to give even though it's imperfect. And I'll take that. This is how it works in your life and this is how it works in my life. There's not a single person in this room who has arrived, right? I mean, I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for decades. I mean, the most spiritual person in this room still loves God imperfectly. You have to admit that. Come on, be honest. But here's what I want you to see about Jesus. Jesus is not looking for perfection. Jesus is looking for somebody that he can work with. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And you can picture Jesus in his mind when he says, more than these. He's looking around and maybe he was looking at the boat and maybe he was looking at the nets and maybe he was looking at all the fish. And he's saying, do you love me more than your career? Or maybe 
Jesus was looking at the rest of the disciples saying, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? These guys who you thought you were so much superior over? Oh, though all of them deny you and leave you, I will never leave you. Do you know why Peter denied the Lord three times? Pride. He thought he was better than what he really was. And he thought he was better than the rest of the disciples. And if necessary, Lord, I will die for you. And yet Peter runs away like a scared little boy, just like the rest of the disciples. The greatest day that you will experience is the day you will really allow the Holy Spirit to dig deep into your own heart and root things out that you don't even want to admit about yourself. The greatest day will be the day where you really open yourself up to the Lord and allow a crucial conversation to take place and allow the Lord to do some inward surgery on you and make you realize you're not all that. Because that's the beginning of real healing and that's the beginning of greater service. There are many things that we do not want to admit even to ourselves, about ourselves. We may see little visions, we may see little glimpses of, you know, character flaws or past failures that we don't want to go to anymore because we just want to act as if that's a part of my life that, you know, is in the past and we've never really quite dealt with it. We just kind of say it's there and then we move on. But the Holy Spirit loves you too much to allow that to still remain undealt with. And so what I've discovered in my own life, and many of you have discovered it in your life, is that the Holy Spirit is very wonderful about going back to places where you have failed in an epic way and pressing in on that failure, not to rub it in your nose, not so that you'll feel bad, but like a skillful surgeon that says, we've got to deal with this because if we don't, somewhere down the road, this is going to come back to haunt you. You realize that the reason why Jesus is talking to Peter on the shore is that the other disciples are right there watching Jesus reinstate Peter and deal with his own failure. Why does Jesus do that? Jesus does it because if the other disciples don't see that Jesus reinstates Peter, Peter has no spiritual authority moving forward. The disciples have to see that Jesus still believes in Peter and that his failure is the launching pad to something greater. And that's what I want to say to you. Your failures are the launching pad to greater service and greater activity for the Lord. But you and I are living in a culture that just sort of minimizes failures and pushes them off to the side and we don't really deal with them. The Holy Spirit loves you way too much to allow you to just get by with that. That's why this crucial conversation took place. I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you saying, you know, if you would allow me, I could deal decisively 
with a failure in your life and you'd never have to go back to it, but we're going to have to talk and have an honest conversation. And I think for some of you, you've had conviction over that for years and you've never allowed the Lord to really dig down deep inside of you. And I'm saying to you, it's a good thing that God wants to dig down deep inside of you and root out some besetting sins because that's the thing that's holding you back from greater service. Three, you do you. Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So a few months ago, I'm with my older daughter, and she's talking to a friend on the phone, and she says, girl, you do you. And I went, I have no idea what that means. You're going to have to explain to me what you do you means. And she said, Dad, you know what I'm talking about. Be authentic. Be the real you. And I went, why didn't you just say be authentic? Be the real you. Because that's not cool, Dad. You do you sounds better. Okay, you do you. Actually, this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, you do you. Stop looking at John. John, who stood with me at the cross when nobody else stood with me. John, who I said, you take care of my mom. He didn't say that to Peter. You know why I didn't say it to Peter? Peter wasn't there. John, the beloved. And you got to see Peter looking back at John thinking, why is he walking 20 feet behind us? Is he trying to listen to that conversation that we're having? Because it's not a pleasant conversation. Jesus is saying to Peter, your relationship with me is unique. My pathway for you is unique. You do you. And don't be worked up about other people. I've been thinking this week about what it means to do you regarding overcoming failure as a Christ follower. Let me just give you a couple closing thoughts. Will you own your unique shape? S-H-A-P-E. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. You have lots of similarities with everybody else. I mean, there is a similarity stream that runs through all of us. And yet, having said that, we're all unique in our own way. We have our own unique shape. We have our own experiences, our personality, our spiritual gifting. We have our own passions, you know, those kinds of things. Can you own your uniquenesses and actually take joy in them Even in failures that have been forgiven, can you own them and say, that's me? I'm convinced that there's a lot of people that do not accept themselves and how God made them. They're always looking at somebody else saying, oh, I wish I had those giftings. Oh, I wish I had those experiences. And the the amount of energy that you give 
trying to look at somebody else's life and their own unique pathway with the Lord is draining energy from you and it's draining energy of focus so that the Lord isn't really able to use you in the way that he wants to use you because you're always looking at somebody else's journey wishing that you were them or parts of them. Can you own your own unique stuff in such a way that you say it's all for the glory of God, even the bad stuff? Two, will you accept that God wants to use everything in your past for his glory, even your failures? What I have found is that the thing that causes me pain is the one thing that God wants to use for his gain. The one thing that we don't want to share is usually the thing that God wants us to share in order to help somebody else that's too afraid to share. The thing that is most embarrassing to you about a period of time in your life that you'd rather forget is the one thing that God chooses to use to say, you can tell that to other people and give them hope because inside they'll say, me too. Three, will you joyfully celebrate somebody else's intimate walk with Jesus without being envious or going insecure? Whatever happened to John? Anybody know? Interestingly, Peter, we know that Jesus kind of gave a prophecy about Jesus in this, about Peter in this section of Scripture. And it says, you know, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you used to go where you wanted to go. When you're older, other people will dress you. You won't be able to go where you're going. That was a foreshadow of what was going to take place in Peter's life. And we know from church history that Peter was crucified upside down. Whatever happened to John? Church history says that John was the youngest of the apostles and died of old age in Ephesus having lived a full life. Well, that's a different life, isn't it? Wouldn't we all want to do that? But that wasn't Peter's journey. And what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you need to get to the place in your life where you stop looking around and envying other Christians, what they have or what they don't have to deal with, or their background. They came from a good functional home, and I came from a dysfunctional home, and, you know, I would be like that too if I'd had a mom and dad like you. Yeah, stop. Your journey's your journey. And can you get to the place of celebrating God's work in somebody else's life and joyfully saying, oh, good for them? without going insecure or getting envious. Fourth, will you simply follow Jesus by allowing him to be the primary voice in your head? That, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to Peter. Will you allow me to be the primary voice in your head? I don't know about you, but I got lots of voices in my head. Don't tell the psychologist. We 
all have voices in our head. We have the voices of our parents. We have the voices of significant people around us. We have the voices of our spouse. We have the voices of our own expectation. We have all kinds of voices. We have the voices of the media, all of it. But there's one voice that needs to be primary. And that's the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says to you, when it comes to things in your life that you don't even want to admit to yourself, or epic fails in your life, Jesus says to you, I believe in you, even when you don't. And I'm going to use the struggles and the trials and the temptations and the failures, I'm going to use those, and they're going to be the springboard to greater service. Will you let me do that? And Jesus says to you, hey, learn to be comfortable in your own skin. Your journey's your journey. It's different than somebody else's journey. Embrace it, live with it, and celebrate God's faithfulness in the midst of your journey, good and bad. Embrace it all. In the um, seat pockets in front of you is a blank sheet of paper. And um, I'm going to ask you to pull that out. And here's the invitation. Would you consider writing down an epic failure in your life? You don't need to write a sentence. You, you, you can just write a phrase. If you're concerned that somebody else may even see what you're writing, you can write a letter, you know, a letter, alphabet. Something that you know is a failure for you. And then fold it. And then after the service, just bring it to the altar. Just leave it there. Now here's what we're going to do with those. No one's going to look at them. I'm not going to look at them. Nobody's going to look at them. We're literally going to pick them up and throw them in the trash. But I think some of you can experience some pretty significant freedom this morning if you just were able to write something down that has been an epic fail for you and say, I'm going to leave that with God. Something you've done, a period of time in your life you'd rather not go back to, a besetting sin, an addiction, an expectation that you've been driving your life toward that is not realistic and have caused you to feel like a failure. Just write whatever down, fold it up, and just bring it to the altar. Would you stand, please? I'm going to give the benediction in just a moment. And um, after I give the benediction, you're free to go. But um, if you have a paper and you want to use it, 
just come up to the altar and lay it on the altar. Jesus, um, there's a reason why Peter's failures are in the New Testament. I think you're trying to tell us something. That our failures do not take you by surprise. And that you are far more gracious and merciful than what we even give you credit for sometimes. So God, today, would you release some people from some failures so that they can experience a greater level of service for you. Lord, reinstate some disciples that have been on the sidelines, that have put themselves on the sidelines because they're like, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to do this for the Lord. I'm not worthy to do that because of this failure. No, may today be a new day. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you all. Have a great rest of the day.